0: Welcome, so glad you are here. If you are here for the first time, if you're a returning guest, if you've been coming for a while, if you're watching online, we wanted to let you know uh, we are so glad you're here. You are welcome, and we're so grateful for you. We've been praying for you, and we hope that you will find what so many of us have found that this place, this church, really is a place you can, uh, you can call home. Uh, you'll find here a group of people who uh, will, will confess we're not perfect. In fact, we're perfectly imperfect, but we are trying to love God well, we're trying to love each other well. So if you're looking for a a faith family to do life with, to journey with, we would love nothing more uh, than for you to join the journey that we're on as we're striving to live different together, to live into the life that Jesus is calling us into. Today we're starting a new series that we're calling Seeing Jesus. Uh, Some of you know that last October, uh, my wife Alicia and I got this incredible opportunity to travel to the Holy Land, to go to Israel, to get to walk where Jesus walked, see where he was born, where he lived, where he died, where he rose again, uh, where he promised his disciples that one day he would return. We got to go experience all of that, and it was an absolutely amazing experience for us. And uh, over the next few weeks, I want to share some of those stories, some of those pictures with you, because what I want for us is for all of us uh, to, to think about what could it be like for us to see Jesus? What would it be like for us to be able to see Jesus? I would love it if I could just take all of you over there so we could do this together. That would be an amazing experience, wouldn't it? Can I get an amen, somebody? Yeah, that'd be incredible. I'm praying for the day that can happen, that we could actually take a group from Riverside to go there, because there's a difference between, you know this, there's a difference between reading all about a place and learning all you can from books about a place and actually going to a place, right? You can ask the kids in the room. I guess they just left. When they get back, you can ask them later. They'll tell you this. A few years ago, we took our kids to Disney World. We would saved up our money. We we're going to go on the trip. And so leading up to the trip, we, we read all about Disney World. We Googled it. We researched it. We, we read online. We watched videos. If that is all we did, they would have been very disappointed, Right? Because there's a difference between learning all you can about a place and actually going to the place to experience it. And the same is true here. And I wonder if if we're just being honest for a lot of us, you know, we save up a lot of nickels and dimes to go to, to Disney or to vacation here or there. You know, we want to go see, you know, Buzz Lightyear and Mickey Mouse, but what about going to the place where our Savior lived? Man. Where's the fire in our bones to go there and to see? To see this place, this land. Where Jesus literally, his feet scrape that earth. Unbelievable. Unreal. I would love for that to be uh, something maybe we could do one day together. It'd be an, an awesome, an awesome experience. Leading up to the trip, uh, I decided I would return to a breath prayer. Uh, I've prayed on and off over the years. Some of you, I know you're becoming more and more familiar with breath prayers. We just came off praying a, an awesome breath prayer last month together. The, the breath prayer I prayed, leading up to our trip to Israel, was this prayer. Real short, real simple, one breath. You can pray it over and over again. I pray, Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to see you. I prayed that on and off over the years at different times, and every time God's done something different, it's been a a really interesting, interesting experience, I guess you would say. And I wonder what would happen here, because I thought if there's anywhere in the world you could actually see Jesus, It would be here, right? It would be in the literal place where he lived, where he died, where he rose again. This would be the place where I could see him and come to know him in a new way. I I knew I would learn more by going, but I'll be honest, that wasn't my goal. I knew I'd be exposed to all kinds of new ideas and, and new opportunities to, to see things, to feel things, to know what the, the sun felt like in, in, in Galilee, to, to know what the dirt felt like when I'm walking across the desert, to know what the, the, the smell of the food was like, to, to know what it sounded like, to walk the busy streets of Jerusalem. But I wasn't just going to learn something new. I really wanted to go and have an, an experience, a new experience with God. And so I kept praying, Jesus, I want see you. And I wonder if you've ever wished that for yourself, you know? Like, if I could just see Jesus, maybe then I could believe, or at least see evidence of Jesus, then I could believe. If I could see Jesus, then I could trust him. If I could see Jesus, I could ask him why. If I could see Jesus, I could know him, or I could know that all of this is true. What would change in your world If you could see this Jesus to whom we pray, sing, and some of us have given our very lives to, what would change in your world if you could see this Jesus? I kept praying that prayer every day. Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to see you. Alicia and I get on the plane Sunday morning. We fly from DFW to Boston, and from Boston, we fly overnight to Tel Aviv. We get off the plane in Tel Aviv. We we find our luggage. We get on our bus. We're tired. We're exhausted. We go and have a really nice dinner, and then uh, we're off to the hotel for some much-needed rest. And I'm praying the whole way, Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to see you. Wake up the next morning refreshed, ready to go, excited about the day before us. We get on on the assigned bus, and and there is our assigned tour guide. I've been praying, Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to see you. And then here's our tour guide. I think there's a picture of him on the screen here. And his name is Joel, but he looks like Jesus, doesn't he? (laughs) Look at this guy. I mean, yeah, he's got the nice button down the glasses, but I'm like, oh, my word, it's day one, and God has answered my prayer. (laughs) Everybody thought the same thing when he got on the bus. They're like, are you kidding me? Seriously? (laughs) Joel uh, is a fantastic guy, and, and he's, some, he's become a friend, someone that I've been able to email and interact with, an incredible resource. As good as he is, he is not Jesus, and he would be the first to tell you that. He is a believer in Jesus, though, and what a delight that we got to uh, journey with someone who lives in the land, who knows the land, and who is also a follower of the same person that you and I call Savior. What could change in your world if you could see Jesus? I think I know what some of you are thinking. You're probably thinking, what are you talking about? Even if we believe Jesus died, rose again, is alive, is reigning in heaven, you can't see him. He's invisible, right? What, what are you even praying when you pray that prayer, Jesus, I want to see you? Because we all know that even if we believe in Jesus and we believe the story is true, that he's invisible. So what does this even mean? What are we praying for when you pray the prayer, Jesus, I want to see you? Like, what does that even mean? And I would ask you if you were talking and having this conversation, I might push back a little bit and ask you this question. What if, what if you could? What if you could see Jesus? What if he's here? What if he's near? What if if we just become blind to his presence in our life and in our world? What if we have just become unaware of his presence in our life and in our world? Some of you have heard this, and I'll tell you I've never tried this, and you shouldn't try this, but I've heard this is true, that you can take a frog, you know know where I'm going with this, and you can put him in a pot of water. Right? And they say that you can take a frog and put him in a pot of room temperature water, and of course the frog is comfortable there, it's, it's all you know, wonderful and fine and dandy, then you take that pot, and this is what you shouldn't do, but you could do, and put it on like a, a stovetop, on the a, on a, on a eye there, and turn it on low. The temperature would begin to rise but the frog would be unaware that the temperature is rising. He's unaware but his body is making changes. It's adapting to the the temperature of the water around him, but he's largely unaware that anything has changed. You can keep dialing up the temperature a little bit at a time and slowly his body will acclimate never you know aware that now he's in danger. Because the environment around him is changing, the temperature is rising and that water can get all the way up to the point of boiling and actually kill the frog, and yet the frog never knew it was in danger, never made an attempt to get out of the boiling water because it never knew. It had just acclimated slowly and slowly and slowly until it killed him. And I wonder if that's what's happened in so many of our lives. The darkness around us is rising slowly, 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 and we don't even realize the impact of the environment around us and how it's changed us, and how it's blinded us. And so we set our eyes, we see things we shouldn't see, we hear things we shouldn't hear, we, we're a part of things maybe we shouldn't be a part of, but we're able to rationalize and move on and go from one thing to the next. And the truth is the darkness around us is rising, and, and we're always adapting and changing, but we're completely unaware. And I don't know which is worse, to be blind or to be completely unaware that you are blind. Because I think what happens for so many of us, including myself, is that the world around us is changing. What happens is it changes us. And more often than not, we're like the frog in the pot. and We're unaware. We're unaware. And we've become blind. The good news is that we serve a God who can heal the blind. We serve a Jesus who healed blind people all the time. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open it up. We're going to, we're going to be in Matthew 20 today. Matthew 20, there's a story that you probably know. If you don't know, you'll be familiar with it. And if you're not familiar with it, you probably already know how it's going to end. Because if you're here this morning, you probably know something about Jesus. and You know how, how Jesus acts and how he responds and what he does in situations like this. But before we jump too far ahead in the story, I want us to read through it together slowly. And I want us to walk through it deeply. And I want us to think about... What actually happens in this story, this moment in the life of Jesus, and I want you to think about what would happen if you prayed the same prayer that's prayed in this passage. In Matthew 20, towards the end of the chapter, in verse 29, we have the beginning of this story as told by one of his followers, Matthew. As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Now, if you grew up in church or if you've read the Bible stories, if you know anything about all of this, The name Jericho may ring a bell for you. Jericho was an ancient city even in the days of Jesus, and it was was famous, and it's still famous, really for one thing. It's because... When the people of God left Egypt and left the bondage of Egypt, they were led by Moses. They walked through the desert for 40 years because of some, you know, uh, some bad behavior. And uh, after that, Moses eventually dies. Joshua becomes the new leader of the people. They enter the promised land that God had given them. They come to the city of Jericho. And, and, and God tells Joshua, here's your battle plan. Here's your, your plan of attack. Walk around the city every day for seven days. On the seventh day, walk around the city seven times, then blow the trumpets and give a shout. This is not normally how we fight our battles, but this is how you fight your battles when God is your leader, right? And so God says, this is the plan of attack. Walk around the city. And on the seventh day, when they did that, the walls fell down and God delivered the city into their hands. This is the city of Jericho that Jesus is is now leaving. Jesus, by the way... That name, Jesus, in Hebrew, you might say it Yeshua, or you might say it Joshua. So now another Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, is here at the city of Jericho, and he's leaving this city where once upon a time the people of God marched around the city, and through prayer the walls fell down, and now Jesus has a procession following him out of Jericho because these people believe that Jesus is Messiah. They believe he is the promised one, the new king, who's going to lead a revolt and who's going to reign, who's going to be a Davidic king, and so they're going to follow him out of Jericho, to Jerusalem. They're part of the procession, so that they can go inaugurate their new king and their new kingdom, evict the Romans, and once again, for the first time in a very long time, be a sovereign nation. Don't miss this before we get too far in the story. They're following the Jesus they want to follow. They're following their version of Jesus. They're following the Jesus they want to see. And I think it might be good just to pause for a moment and just think about that for a moment. How often do you and I follow the version of Jesus we want to follow? How often do we see Jesus the way we want to see him instead of how he really is? These people, they're following their version of Messiah. And they think they're going to Jerusalem to inaugurate his new kingdom. Despite all of his announcements and predictions that he's going to die, they're convinced he's going to reign on the throne there. Because they're following a different version of Jesus than than the actual Jesus that's leading them. Two blind men, verse 30, were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. So they're on their way out of the city, and there's these two blind men on the side of the road. They're not much different than people that you and I might sometimes pass on the way to somewhere else. They're going along the way and they're shouting out Lord son of David have mercy on us but you know what happens is they're invisible to everybody that's passing by. The crowd can hear them but they can't see them. They don't even look at them. They become they become devalued because of their disability. They become invisible by their culture. They become, you know, marginalized by the world around them. They couldn't see They couldn't see those around them, and those around them wouldn't see them. But they're probably the only two people who could see Jesus who were there that day for who he really was. Because they called out to him, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. That's the same name that the prophets had given the Messiah. Prophets like Jeremiah, who once said this in Jeremiah 23, 5. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line, a son of David. And he will be a king who rules with wisdom, and he will do what is just and right throughout the land. They identify Jesus as this son of David, this one who is from David's line, who's going to do what's right throughout the land, who sets things right, who makes things right. And they know that he has the power to even set right what went wrong in their life, their blindness. They hear Jesus coming that way, and they begin to cry out to him. And just by the way, this little side note, crying out to God is a very biblical and very powerful way to pray. I know sometimes we pray quietly. We pray in our hearts. We pray in our heads. We pray around the table with our family. But if you've never tried it, to, to unmute your prayer life and to get alone somewhere, to go out in the woods, to cry out, to shout to God, it is a powerful way to pray. And this is the way these two blind men pray in this moment. They cry out, Lord, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd heard them crying out, but the crowd's response wasn't compassionate. They said, be quiet. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if you're like me and you're reading the story, you're probably thinking the same thing I'm thinking why does Jesus ask these two blind men, what do you want me to do for you? Doesn't everybody in the room know what Jesus wants them to do or him to do for them? It maybe just maybe Jesus is calling this out because he wants to clarify for the crowd that hey, these two blind beggars on the side of the road, they're not asking for more money. What they're asking for isn't for spare change. They want something different. Maybe he wants to make sure everybody who's there today, everybody in the crowd that's in the procession from Jericho to Jerusalem knows What these two blind men are asking for. That that might be it. I don't know. I tend to think that what Jesus was going for was, I think he wanted to give them a chance to voice their desire. To put words to their request. But it's a great question, isn't it? Think about this. If you you were face-to-face with Jesus today, and he asked you this question, you should put your name in the blank what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? Isn't that a powerful question? You're face-to-face with the Son of God. You're face-to-face with the one that we call Messiah, and he's pulled up a chair right in front of your chair. You're sitting knee-to-knee, and he looks you in the eye. He's holding your hands, and he's like, what do you want me to do for you? By the way, this is a powerful spiritual exercise. If you've never done it, I would... Highly recommend it. Get alone, get quiet, turn off all your devices, create some space where you can just quiet your mind, settle your heart on Jesus. And then just imagine him sitting there right in front of you, asking you this question, what do you want me to do for you? And See what rises up within you. See what it is that you really, really, really if you could ask Jesus to do one thing, what would that one thing be? And whatever that is, that would be a wonderful thing to turn into a breath prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, heal me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the God, Most High God, make me brave. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, remove my fear. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the most high God, draw me close. I don't know what it would be for you, but whatever it is for you, that can be an incredible opportunity for you to center your heart and settle your mind on Jesus and and ask him, whatever it is that you need, ask him. Jesus asked these two blind men, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 33, Lord, they said, we want to see. And I love this. Jesus had compassion on them. He touched their eyes. And instantly, they could see. And they followed him. And if you could just imagine this moment, Jesus comes over to these two blind men that have been ignored by the crowd, marginalized, invisible, devalued. And he approaches them and he asks them a question that no one's ever asked. them. people just throw change at them. He asks them, what do you want me to do for you? And, and they ask the one thing that they know only he can do for them. We want to see. And so Jesus does something nobody else would do. He, he touches them. He touches their eyes. And you can just imagine as he touches their eyes and he moves his hands away and they open their eyes, the first thing that they see In the heat and the light of the Jericho sun with palm trees all around and the city behind them, the very first thing they see is the face of Jesus Christ. And that moment had such an impact on them in that moment that their immediate response was what? After seeing Jesus, they followed Jesus. They saw Jesus, and when they saw him, they followed him. I love that story, but Matthew's not the only gospel writer to tell that story. Some of you know that Jesus, the story of Jesus was told by four different gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell a, a version of the story, except, except Mark and Luke, in their version of the story, it's around Jericho, the same exact thing, but they only talk about one man that was healed of their blindness, not, not two, and Mark gives us his name. He says, The man that was healed, his name was was Bartimaeus. And I think that's interesting. You know, you you could read that a couple of ways. One way is to think, well, Jesus probably healed more than one person of blindness. And that is entirely possible and more than likely, and that may be true there were no doubt many, many blind people that Jesus could touch and heal. So maybe they're all talking about different stories, different moments, and that, that is incredibly possible. But most scholars think Jesus is right here. They're all talking about the same moment when Jesus healed the same man or, or, or men. And if that's true, that raises some different questions. It makes you wonder, well, what happened to the other guy that was blind that got healed that day? And why did Mark Give us the name of the man that was healed. Why don't you give us the name of Bartimaeus? We rarely, if ever, learn the name of the people Jesus healed. But in this instance, Mark tells us his name. It's Bartimaeus. Was it because that from that moment on, Bartimaeus could not keep quiet any longer about what had happened in his life? And so from that moment on, he told everybody about the day that Jesus touched him and healed him, and he could see, and he became a follower of Jesus from that day on. In fact, he became such a well-known you know, person within the community of those early Christians that when Mark was writing the story down, he's like, I know this guy. His name is Bartimaeus. I know it was him that day that Jesus touched and healed. Everybody knows Bartimaeus. He can't keep quiet about what Jesus did in his life. He can't keep quiet about how Jesus changed his life. And that may be true. I don't know if that's true. That could be true. But even if that is true, even if it's not true, what happened to the other guy? What happened to the guy that we don't know his name and we don't nobody else talked about who Jesus healed that day? Have you ever had this experience where at some point in your life you had, you had an undeniable experience with God? You might even say, you saw Jesus that day. But then life happened. You got busy. Things picked up at work or at school or wherever. As time went on, the memory of what Jesus did way back then begins to fade. And as time goes on, things in your life changed. And, you know, you still get to church as often as you can, but not as often as you used to. You still pray as much as you can, but not as much as you used to. You still check the Bible app or your social media to find the verse of the day here and there and again. But you don't read your Bible, at least not the way you used to. And you look up one day, and if we were to ask you, you would say, yeah, I'm still following Jesus. But if you're honest in your heart of hearts, you'd be like, but it's from a distance. (laughs) Like, he's he's out there, and and I'm, I'm back here, but I'm still following him from a distance. Or maybe you look up one day, and you think, man, I cannot remember the last time I really prayed. I can't remember the last time I opened the Word of God because I wanted to receive a word from God. I can't remember the last time I lost myself in worship. I can't remember. I can't remember. There was a time when I had an experience with Jesus, and I could see him, and I was following him so close. But after time, that memory has faded. And now, if I'm following him at all, it's from a distance on that day Jesus asked these two men what do you want me to do for you and they responded we want to see and they saw Jesus and they followed Jesus and by the way that is that was exactly I think that is exactly what Jesus Jesus was hoping would happen in that moment He was hoping that he could touch their eyes, they would see his face, and from that day forward, they would follow him wherever he went. And by the way, that is, I believe, Jesus' desire for you too. This is what I believe is true, that Jesus wants to open your eyes. All of us, he wants to open your eyes so you can see his face and you can follow his lead. But you know what I think Jesus really wants? I think he wants you to be Bartimaeus in the story. He wants you to be the one that follows him for the long run. He wants you to be the one that takes that long walk with Jesus in the same direction and never turns back. He wants you to be the one that follows him wherever he leads you. He wants you to be Bartimaeus. The person whose life was so touched and so changed by Jesus. That you never, ever, ever stop sharing the story of what he did for you. And you never stop following him wherever he leads. So this is the question I want to ask over these next few weeks leading up to Easter. What would happen for you if you started praying this same prayer? Jesus, I want to see you. But before you pray that prayer, you need to think about it, because you know this is true. You can't follow Jesus if you don't fix your eyes on Jesus, and you can't fix your eyes on Jesus if you can't see Jesus. And some of you know that this is precisely the reason you have such a hard time following Jesus. It's because you fixed your eyes. You set your eyes on other things. And so we're about to end, but if I can just be gut honest for just two seconds, you can't you can't follow Jesus and fix your eyes on pornography. You can't follow Jesus and fix your eyes on your career. You can't follow Jesus and fix your eyes on more money. You can't follow Jesus and fix your eyes on whatever it is you're shopping for on Amazon or facebook or whatever it is you're shopping on to to buy one more thing to get one more material possession so you can just feel that much better about yourself you can't follow jesus and fix your eyes on appearances you can't follow jesus and fix your eyes on all these other things that the world says fix your eyes on these and you're going to find life because you know if you've done that what's true is that you don't find life at the end of that tunnel That's why we're striving as a church, as a faith family in this place to live different because the the life the world offers, the life that the culture around us offers, it doesn't lead to life. Life the way the world does life doesn't work. It leads to broken life. The life that Jesus offered, it leads to real life. But you can't follow Jesus if you can't fix your eyes on Jesus, and you can't fix your eyes on Jesus if you can't see Jesus. So what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to pray this prayer. Jesus, I want to see you. But to see him, you got to fix your eyes on him, and you got to follow him wherever he leads you. These two blind men, they prayed this prayer. Lord, I want to see you. And Jesus opened their eyes, and they saw the face of Jesus, and they followed him. And I want you to have that same experience Especially over the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter. Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you. What would happen if you prayed that prayer? Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. Joshua and the people of God marched around the city of Jericho. For seven days. On the seventh day, the walls fell down. This is what I'm praying for you. This is the idea I'm praying around over these next few weeks. That God would break down whatever barriers have been built up around your heart and your life. That whatever it is, whatever it is that maybe the enemy has erected, whatever it is, the hardness of heart that's been put around the, the walls of your heart, that, that God would tear those down so that you could see him the same way those blind men saw Jesus that day. But I do want you to know that if you pray this prayer and you choose to see Jesus and follow Jesus, it's not a prayer for an easy road ahead. Those two blind men decided to follow Jesus that day, but they followed Jesus 18 miles apparently from Jericho to Jerusalem. And we know from other texts and from being there that the road between Jericho and Jerusalem is a dangerous road. It's not an easy road at all. And we also know that when Jesus got to Jerusalem, he wasn't going there to sit on his throne. He was going there to face a cross. And that following Jesus, meant that they followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem where he would face a cross, die, be buried in a grave. But the good news is, on Sunday, he was resurrected. And it's my prayer that you would choose to follow Jesus down whatever road he leads, no matter how dangerous it may be. Even if that leads you to a cross, So that you and I can die to ourselves. Because you know what? When you follow Jesus to the cross and you follow him to the grave, you know where else you follow him? Up out of that grave into the resurrected life that he offers. Can I get an amen? Come on. This is what we're called to do. To see Jesus, to follow Jesus, and trust that he's going to lead us to that resurrection life. This morning, I don't know where you are in your journey. Um, I'm going to invite our elders and their wives to make themselves available around the room. I mean, if you feel like, man, I've, I am like the frog in the kettle, and the world around me has been getting darker, and I've become unaware, I've become blind to what's happening, and I want someone to pray with me, they would love to do that. They'd love to pray with you and ask Jesus to give you sight and to open your eyes so you can see his face and follow his lead. For the rest of us, though, let's start praying that prayer. And I don't know how Jesus is going to do this, I don't know how this works. I'm not saying I have all the answers. But I will promise you this. If you pray this prayer, Jesus will open your eyes and he's going to reveal himself to you in some way. And you're going to see him in a new way. And I would love to hear those stories because I would love to hear and to see how Jesus opens your eyes so you can follow his lead. As we pray this prayer, Jesus, help us to see you. Let's sing.